Uh, I want to invite you to pull out your Bibles and your uh, bulletin notes this morning. We're going to be, um, you know, I'm sitting here singing a song about this reality that we serve this great God. And as we're singing those words, um, I'm just reminded about passages in Revelation, for instance, that talk about this throne. And there's this, this being, God, that we're worshiping that's being sung to like this. Uh, 24 hours a day, every single day of the week, and here we're joining in that. And in some ways, uh, shifting gears to, as Rich Mullins would say, the stuff of earth, kind of these mundane things. Something like money seems fairly mundane, actually, to me after that. Um, but the title this morning uh, is is this whole idea about money management, and does it matter to God? And of course it does, and we're going to explore that a little bit uh, this morning. And um, probably um, maybe a year ago or so, uh, Rich Henderson has invited me into kind of a Willow Glen Pastors Network that we get together and meet and chat. And, um, and Rich approached me after, um, after one of those one time and said, hey, God's been impressing upon my heart just this whole idea of a giver's school where we'd be trained in how to give, how to be givers, where to be givers as Christians. And he kind of shared some ideas about it. And I said, man, that just seems right up. Um, the alley of what we need to be about as a church. So we kind of ran one of those. I think it was last summer. Is that right? And it kind of flowed really out of Rich's heart, too, with budget mentoring. And um, and Rich, for a long time, has known these spiritual ties between uh, money and, and our, our hearts for God. And so I want you to welcome Rich Henderson up. Come on up, Rich. And uh, it is... It is really a joy for me to know that um, to know that we have uh, men like like Rich here. Rich has been a pastor for many many years, and um, so for him to teach on this subject, uh, he's he's a guy that's probably further down the road than many of us even in this room. And uh, so, invite you to just listen. Was that said well and tactfully? Yeah. Thanks okay. for uh, putting a little more pressure on me here, Dave. I gotta say that. Uh, I'm a little more nervous this morning than I typically am when I preach at Love, Inc., because when I, uh, when I preach for a church at Love, Inc., it's a one-shot deal, and I'm out of there. So if I lay, lay an egg in the pulpit, nobody's going to see me for a long, long time, you know. But if I lay an egg here, you're going to see me every week, and I'll probably never get a chance to preach again. So the pressure's too much. I'm just going to sit down and let Dave take it from here. No. It was in uh, the spring of... Uh, 1986, and uh, I was having a conversation with my four-year-old niece, Emily. Uh, my grandmother had died just a few weeks before, and one of the things that uh, they found in her apartment was a, a jar of coins. And my, uh, my four-year-old niece reaches into that jar of coins, and she hands me a handful of money. And she says, here, Uncle Richie, you want some money? I said, well, thank you very much, Emily. That's very nice of you. And then I said, Emily, you know what I'm going to do with this money? I'm going to take it to church. Next time I go to church, and I'm going to give it to God. And she said, she thought about it, and she said, well, that'll be great. And then he can turn around and give it to Grandma Claire because she didn't take any money with her when she went up there. <laughs> I thought, okay. And I thought, I, I want to probe the mind of a four-year-old to see how, this, how they think this thing works. And I said, hey, Emily, i got a question for you. So when, they take the money, when you take the money to church and they give it to God, how does it get up there? And she says, oh, well, they have a machine. They have a machine. You put the money in the machine, you turn the handle, and it shoots it up to heaven. (laughs) So, folks, i got news for you. There's no machine. (laughs) There's no machine that shoots money up to heaven. There's no machine that shoots money down to heaven. For uh, for, uh, uh, 2,000 years in church history, it's worked in a much more mundane way than that. It's worked through us, through ordinary people uh, giving to God's work. 
I became a Christian when I was about 13 or 14. And uh, when I was uh, 15 years old, I took a departure from Orthodox Christianity and became a Mormon. I was a Mormon for uh, three years. And when I was a Mormon, one of their big things is tithing. They taught me tithing. You give 10% of your money to God. And I left the, uh, the Mormon church and returned to biblical Christianity when I was about 18. But for a number of years after that, I just, tithing was it. Tithing was giving. That was what it was all about. And uh, quite a few years later, I, I uh, was having a conversation with a missionary. And we were talking about tithing and that kind of thing. And he brought up this question. He says, why should giving be the one area of our Christian lives that we never grow in? I thought, that's a good question. That's a very good question. That uh, um, I realized that giving was really a no-growth area in my spiritual life. See, the, the problem with a formula, any formula, whether it's tithing or anything, is once you got the formula, you can be tempted to just put things on autopilot, right? And you don't need God anymore. You don't need to... Uh, maintain a close relationship with God because you know the formula. And um, one of the things I've realized is the whole idea of stewardship is that we are managers and God is the owner. And if we're really going to be good managers, we need to be listening all the time to what the owner directs us to do with his resources. So this morning, I'm going to be uh, sharing biblical principles about... uh, Okay, about uh, money management in general and focus most particularly on giving. Uh, So the question this morning is, why does money management uh, matter to God? And I've got uh, seven answers for you. The first is that it's part of our sanctification. It's part of our sanctification. Uh, The Bible teaches that when a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in that person's life. We call this the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And one of the roles of the indwelling Holy Spirit is to conform us to the image of Christ, to make us more like Jesus. Here's what uh, Paul had to say about it in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verse 9. This is, uh, this is actually a great place to go for the Christmas message. You wouldn't think so, but when you uh, read this, uh, think if this doesn't sound like the Christian, uh, Christmas message. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's Christmas right there, right? See, Jesus was rich. He was infinitely rich before his incarnation, uh, living for eternity past as the second person of the Trinity. And he uh, took upon himself, he, he left that exalted state in heaven, took upon himself all the limitations of human nature, uh, came to the earth, became a man, went to the cross, died on the cross for our sins so that we could be rich. He gave his wealth so that we could be rich. Uh, Now, here's something that you might not have realized about this uh, passage here. This passage is in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, Corinthians 8-9. It's part of a fundraising appeal. The Apostle Paul here is writing to encourage the Corinthian church to give to the poor church in Jerusalem. And in doing that, he uses Jesus as the ultimate example of uh, uh, generosity. Um, Think about it. Generosity is contrary to our fallen nature. If you were to go in the the nursery in our uh, church this morning, and you see a child with a toy, and another child comes over who wants to play with that toy, What would you expect to happen? Would you expect that first child to say, here, let me share? No. 
What's going to happen? The second child comes over. The first child is going to say, mine, mine. Now, nobody had to train that kid to do that, right? No parents said, okay, here's the drill. When you go to church and another kid comes over, you say, mine, mine. No, nobody does that, right? They just do that instinctively. It's part of our uh, fallen nature. Selfishness comes naturally from our fallen sin nature. So becoming more generous is really a confirmation that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Uh, I want to give you an example from uh, Scripture of this idea that uh, generosity comes from God. This is... uh, 2 Chronicles, chapter 29, and it records the time that the Israelites were taking an offering to build the temple. And uh, the Bible records that just massive amounts of uh, gold, silver, brass, iron, precious stones, all these things were given. And here's what they said after this offering was taken. This is uh, 2 Chronicles 29, verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart, And King David also rejoiced. They realized something beyond us is going on here. We wouldn't be able to give like this on our own. This is what uh, David says in his prayer. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from thee, and from thy hand uh, we have given thee. Generous giving is a sign that God is working in your life. Second thing, a... a, uh, Second reason that money management, specifically giving, is important to God, is that it turns our hearts towards God and eternity. The uh, Bible's really clear. God is a jealous God. He wants uh, exclusive allegiance of his uh, people. He can't stand idolatry. And throughout history, one of man's key idols has been money. Why is that so? Because money can give us a sense of security. We can be deceived into thinking that we don't need God. Really, wealth has a way of lessening our need to trust in God. This is from uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 30, verses uh, 7 through 9. Proverbs uh, 30, 7 through 9. Two things I ask of thee. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me, po- give me neither poverty. Okay, we're all okay there. Don't make me poor. I don't want to be poor. But th- listen to this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Is that a prayer you've ever prayed? God, don't make me rich. Here's the reason why. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Jesus was very clear on this point when it comes to lordship. He says you cannot serve both God and money. It's on the screen for you there. Uh, I think. Let me see if it's on the next one. Yeah. Uh, Luke 16:31. No man can serve two masters. And he goes on at the end of the verse. He says, you cannot serve God and money. Now, notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say you should not serve God and money as though it was uh, as though it was possible, but not advisable. He says you cannot serve God and money. It's impossible. You can't do it. One of those two will become your master. Isn't that fascinating? That uh, the allure of money is that it promises us independence. We can be the master if we're rich. And Jesus says that's not the case. If God's not your master, money will be. Money will dictate your values and drive your life. You can choose one or the other, but you can't choose both. 
God wants our hearts to be fully his, and he knows the danger of money becoming an idol. And so giving is one way to prevent this from happening. Giving really loosens the, the corrupting influence that wealth tends to have on us. If you've got a Bible, turn to this one now. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Matthew 6, 19. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a, uh, a warning and an encouragement for us here. Uh, Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is... There will your heart be also. Now, Jesus ends this not in the way we would expect. Uh, What we expect him to say is this. For where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. That's what we expect. And that kind of makes sense, right? That where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. I was talking to a friend recently, and he he made the comment that uh, the way people spend money shows what's in their hearts. And that's certainly true. Uh, You spend money on things that are important to you. But Jesus says here that our hearts follow our treasure. Therefore, if you want your heart to uh, end up in a certain place, you put your treasure there first, and then your heart follows after it. Um, Give you a a little homely illustration. You've probably seen this tool before if you've watched adventure movies. It's called a grappling hook. It's a a thing that has a bunch of fish hook type things, and then it's connected to a cable or a rope. Uh, Batman had one on his utility belt. His was mechanized, so he just wrapped it around something, pushed a button, and it hauled him up. You know what I'm talking about? Grappling hook? Okay. Um, So uh, our treasure is like that. We throw our treasure somewhere, and then our heart follows after our treasure. Give you an illustration how this works. Let's say that uh, today you had an extra $10,000 to do something with. Okay? So scenario one is you take that $10,000 and you buy $10,000 worth of IBM stock. Okay, You've never owned stock before in your life. You've, uh, you buy $10,000 of IBM stock. Now, what's going to happen as a result of that? Well, all of a sudden, you're going to pay a lot more attention to IBM and how they're doing. Right? You're going to probably read articles in the newspaper about IBM. You're going to follow your stock price in the newspaper. Uh, you may go to stockholder meetings uh, to vote on what IBM does. Your heart will follow your treasure. Now, let's say you take that same $10,000 and you give it to a friend of yours who's uh, a missionary to the Kurds in northern Iraq. Well, what's going to happen? Your heart's going to follow your treasure. So when he sends you a prayer letter, are you going to read it? You bet you are. You just spent $10,000 on this guy, right? You sure you're going to read the prayer letter? You're going to pray regularly? You're going to read articles in the newspaper, watch things on TV, look up things on the web about... Uh, the Kurds in northern Iraq. You might even take part of your vacation time and go over there and help your friend. So what happened? Your heart followed your treasure. You led with your treasure, and then your heart uh, followed it. Giving increases our interest in eternal things. Uh, Jesus directs us to store up treasures in heaven and then promises us that that our hearts will follow and be turned towards heaven. Third reason that uh, money management is important to God is because uh, he loves us and he wants only the very best for us. 
You know, adhering to biblical principles of money management uh, can really save you a lot of grief. Uh, Folks, God doesn't give you commandments because he wants to ruin your fun, right? He gives you commandments because he wants the very best for you. For instance, there's a a money management uh, principle. It's Proverbs 22, verse uh, 7, the last part of the verse, and it says, The borrower becomes the lender's slave. Now, did God give us that commandment or that uh, biblical principle because he wants to ruin your fun? He, he wants to squeeze all the joy out of life. He doesn't want you to have that big screen, high def TV that would just make football season so much better, but you don't have the money for it. So you gotta, you gotta get it, but you gotta put it on your Visa card and you're gonna pay 18 to 25% interest on it. Does God want to ruin your fun by saying, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. No, he doesn't want to ruin your fun. He wants to make your life better. Because, uh, the problem with the instant gratification that comes from going into debt is that the gratification lasts about one instant, and the payments go on for months and years and years, right? I mean, really, you talk to people who are mired in debt, and there's a bondage there. There's a bondage there that God wants to keep you out of. So he gives us those principles because he wants the best for us. Fourth reason that money management matters to God is because he wants to reward us. Uh, this is really pretty amazing when you think about it, that here God owns everything in the first place, right? Everything belongs to him. And he gives us the ability to create wealth. And then he provides for our needs. And when we give, he rewards us for that too. This is a, this amazing little passage from uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 15 through uh, 17. The uh, context here is... Uh, Paul was thanking the Philippians for giving to him as a missionary to plant other churches. And uh, part of Philippians is written to be a thank you note to them. Philippians uh, 4, 15 through 17 says this. And you, and you uh, yourself know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. A little aside here, this is kind of amazing. You know, all the churches that Paul planted, according to this, how many supported him as a missionary? One. One. It's kind of, kind of sad. Um, verse 17, he says, Not that I seek for the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Um, What does that mean? It means that as a result of their gift to Paul, the Philippians had made an eternal investment. They literally had opened up an account in heaven. And that account was yielding a return on their investment. Uh, He also says the return on their investment was increasing. In other words, their interest was compounding, or their dividends were being reinvested. and they were producing a profit much greater than the original investment. That's all business uh, terminology from the business world here. And God was keeping track of their giving. Why? So that he could reward them with compounding interest for their giving to his kingdom work. Um, Now, folks, I don't know what God's interest rate is, okay? But I get the idea it's going to be a lot more satisfying for me than the 0.67% interest I'm earning on my money at Chase right now, okay? Uh, 
God's keeping track of these things, and he wants to reward us uh, for, our, for our investment in eternal things. Fifth reason to, uh, that money management is important to God is because it's a test to see if we can handle true riches. Turn to this uh, passage, uh, Luke chapter 16, verses uh, 8 through 12. Luke chapter 16, verses 8 through 12. So this, uh, this section here follows the uh, parable of the shrewd steward. It's the, it's the one where the steward who's about to be fired goes out and discounts the debts of those who asked, uh, owed his master money. In my opinion, it's really one of the most fascinating parables that Jesus told. Just an amazing parable to read. And verses uh, 8 through 13 draw out the lessons from the parable. Uh, Here they are. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If, therefore, you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and mammon. You'll notice in these verses that Jesus is constantly downplaying the importance of money. In verse 9 and then in verse 11, he calls it unrighteous. In verse 9, he says money will fail. Notice he doesn't say if it fails. He says when it fails. Folks, that's a, a clue. Money will fail you, Right? If you have any questions about that, look at the last year, <laughs> last year and a half. Money will fail you. Um, it, it will certainly fail you when you die, right? When you die, your money will totally fail you. Do you no good at all then? Um, in verse 10, Jesus twice refers to money as a very little thing. In verse 11, he contrasts money to true riches and clearly indicates that money is not true riches. Finally, in verse 13, he refers to money as a false rival God. So do you get the idea that Jesus doesn't think money is very important? I mean, Jesus doesn't think money is very important. You ever heard people say, well, it's just money. Really, that's a great biblical attitude. It's, it's just money. According to Jesus, it's just money. It's no big deal. But now get, get this. Listen to this. This is key. How we handle money is a very big deal. Even though money itself is not a big deal, how we handle money is a very big deal. Verses uh, 10 through 11 teach us that God looks at the way we handle money to see if he can trust us with greater responsibilities. Our handling of money is the test to see if we can handle true riches. So what are true riches? I would, uh, I would submit to you that true riches are spiritual authority and responsibility, the privilege of acting as God's representative. And money is the test to see if he can handle that. Here's an interesting uh, concordance study for you. Sometime look up the word steward or stewardship in the concordance. And here's what you'll find. that Once you get past the four Gospels, the rest of the New Testament 
never mentions that word steward in connection with money. Stewardship is never connected with money at all after you get past the four Gospels. Uh, Instead, you'll find references to being a steward of the grace of God or the mysteries of God. Church elders are referred to uh, God's steward, uh, referred to as God's stewards. Here's the deal. When churches typically talk about uh, stewardship, what are they talking about? Money, right? Financial stewardship. But financial stewardship is stewardship 101. It's the qualifying round to see who gets to move ahead into the real action of handling spiritual responsibilities. I want you to do something with me. Take out whatever financial instrument you have with you right now. If you've got the checkbook, credit card, cash, uh, if you've got something that represents possessions, maybe your car keys, if you brought the deed to your house to church for, with you, whatever you got, okay? Take those out, get them in your hands. All right, car keys, great. If, if you don't have anything at all, I guess you could take your jacket or <laughs> something that represents a possession. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold it in the air, and I want you to repeat with me, this is a test. Say it. This is a test. One more time. This is a test. That's exactly the truth. What you're holding in your hands is a test from God to see if he can handle true responsibilities. You know, that sure puts, a, uh, puts the decision of whether or not to buy a lotto ticket in a different light, doesn't it? I mean, if this is a test, is that, a good, uh, is that good stewardship? So you can put your uh, money away, save it for the offering in a few minutes here. Um, you know, when you think about it, Money management really is a great assessment tool. In fact, it would be hard to come up with a more comprehensive way to tell what's important to a person than to look at what they spend their money on. Uh, how you spend your money really tells a whole lot about you. Uh, one thing, it tells about your maturity. Do you spend money as soon as you get it? Does money burn a hole in your pocket? Um, do you have to have instant gratification when it comes to money? Well, that's something kids do, Right. But if you're mature, if you're an adult, you can wait. You can save money for future purposes. Tell us about your diligence. Uh, here's one that hurt me. Uh, do you keep your checkbook balanced and current so you know how much money you have uh, at all time? Or do you get a lot of overdraft charges and uh, finance charges because you really don't know how much money you have? You're, you have a problem with diligence. diligence. It, it tells about your level of contentment. Have you learned to live within your means? Or do you go into debt to buy things you can't afford? Uh, it tells about your priorities. And no matter how much you proclaim your values to be a certain way, your checkbook reveals what your actual values are. If you value a life of ease and luxury, that will come out in the check register of your checkbook. Uh, if you have addictions, those will come out in your check register. Uh, how about your priority to God? That will come out in your check register also. Do you give to God first and you give generously, thus proclaiming, Jesus, you are my top priority, or does God get your leftovers? Tell us about where your confidence is. Do you hoard money as a way of protecting yourself from any eventuality, or do you give generously and trust God to provide? You know, there's a, a good idea. It's a, a wise thing to have an emergency fund. But if your emergency fund gets so big that it has protected you from any eventuality, you're really trusting God less as a result of it. Uh, money management is the acid test of Jesus' lordship over our lives. Really, we can talk a good talk about Jesus being Lord, but if we don't give or if we give sparingly, it proves that we have a problem, right? Uh, it could be a lack of knowledge, it could be a lack of faith, or it could be simple, simple disobedience. Now, here's the thing. 
You can't lie to God about this. It's right there in black and white in your checkbook register or on your bank statements. It's right there. Um, what you do with money reveals what's in your heart, what's important to you, and what your values are. And God uses our handling of money as an acid test to see if we really trust him. One of the ways he does this is by prompting us to give away the medium through which we sustain ourselves. Think about that. That's what money is. It's the medium through which we sustain ourselves. You go to work, you get a paycheck, that becomes how you sustain yourself. Um, In giving money away, we're telling God that we're trusting him and not ourselves, not our paycheck, to meet our needs. Um, Next one. Uh, Sixth reason that's important to God is because giving by God's people is the primary way that he funds his work here on earth. You know, there, there have been a few times the Bible records where God provides uh, in a different way. Um, the prophet Elijah was fed by ravens, okay? Uh, Jesus and Peter got their money to pay the temple tax by catching a fish with a coin in its mouth. So sometimes God provides in other ways. Uh, God certainly had, could have made a machine that shoots money down from heaven. Okay? I mean, he provided manna in the wilderness for 40 years. He could have provided money shooting out of heaven. Uh, but uh, for, uh, for the history of God's work on this planet, the primary way that he's provided money for that is through us, right? Through his people. Um, Christian people like you and I gave money and churches were planted. Christians gave and missionaries were sent out. Christians gave and hospitals were built and staffed. Christians gave and rescue missions were started. Turn with me to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Paul here tells the uh, Corinthian church that their giving to help the poor church in Jerusalem would produce a harvest of righteousness. Uh, I'm going to read verse uh, 10 and then uh, a couple verses after it. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty cool. That God can turn my cold, hard cash into praise coming to him through those who benefit from my giving. I mean, that, is, that is pretty cool. Now, here's something I want you to focus on. Um, in verse 10, uh, Paul says that he, God will use our giving to increase the harvest of whose righteousness? Your, your righteousness. God gives us the credit for the righteousness that's being produced. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that kind of him? And we know from reading the New Testament, apart from you, you can do, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, right? But God gives us the credit for the righteousness that comes from our giving. I want to read you a a lyrics to a a song um, that expresses the idea. It's called, uh, Thank You for Giving to the Lord by Ray Bolts. You might be familiar with it says, I dreamed I went to heaven. You were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing. Then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man, and he was smiling as he came. He said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. 
And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Then another man stood before you. He said, remember the time? A missionary came to your church. His pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took that gift you gave, and that's why I'm in heaven today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. One by one they came, far as your eyes could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices you had made, they were unnoticed on this earth, in heaven now proclaimed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. And I know up in heaven you're not supposed to cry, but I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes. As Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord, he said, My child, look around you. Great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. I am so glad you gave. You know, one of my goals for preaching about this topic of giving and money is that there would be an increase in the harvest of righteousness, that more money would flow into kingdom enterprises as we interact with God's word on this issue. Our seventh and uh, final reason that money management is important to God is uh, he wants to use our money management to be a witness to the lost. Uh, Many Americans have made money their God, and in the last two years, their God has died, right? Um, As Christians, we aren't supposed to be surprised when money fails us. Jesus promised us, Luke uh, 16, 9, we read it before, money will fail. Uh, Our trust is in a God who never fails. Our handling of money should be dramatically different and a witness to those who have made money their God. Uh, Christian author Randy Alcorn was recently quoted in an article entitled Profound Witness in World Magazine. And he says that giving is a powerful witness of the gospel, and he calls it the greatest form of evangelism. Isn't that an interesting comment? Our giving is the greatest form of evangelism. Alcorn said that giving in tough economic times is particularly important for the Christian. For one thing, in tough times, Christian charity is needed all the more, he said. For another, the testimony of that giving is even more profound. Giving in tough times tells the world that it is God's providence, not a large checking account, that is the source of our sustenance and security. I want to end uh, my message by uh, reading something to you from uh, Randy Alcorn's book that really rekindled my desire uh, to give, uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Great book. Highly recommend it. Uh, As I read this closing thing, I want you to do something. I want you to take out a bill. If you've got a dollar bill, five, ten, hundred, twenty, whatever you got, take out a bill. Make sure it's at least a dollar. And uh, hold it in your hands and look at it as, uh, as I read this. If you don't have a bill... Ask the person next to you if you can borrow a bill. I've got some extra ones here if anybody uh, needs a bill. If, uh, if there's not enough to go around, maybe uh, share with the person next to you so you're each holding one end of a bill. But I want everybody to have currency in their hands as we, uh, as we do this, okay? You might want to keep track of who you're giving your money to. <laughs> All right. Hold that, hold that bill and look at it as I, as I read this. 
Uh, Randy Alcorn writes, Jesus tells us to do something good with worldly wealth. It's as if, it's as if he's saying, take this thing that is commonly used for evil and use it for good. Look at this worn currency. Smell in it the foul purposes for which it was used. Perhaps to buy drugs or sex or injustice. It may have been once stolen, perhaps killed for. But now that it's in your hands, use it wisely and well. Use it for eternal purposes. Let's close in prayer as we consider what we've heard today. Thank you, Father, for, uh, for using us giving us the privilege of uh, funding your kingdom work. You could have done it another way. You could have made a machine that shoots money down from heaven. You could have uh, provided everything through ravens or a coin, a fish with coins in their mouth. But you decided to use us. And, uh, Lord, what a, a privilege that is to be used by you to fund your kingdom work. Lord, uh, you, you're, you, you use this money that we hold in our hands as a test to see if we can handle true riches, spiritual authority, and responsibility. And, uh, Father, we just pray that you, through your indwelling Holy Spirit, would enable us to pass that test. Help us to be good managers of the money that you entrust to us for your glory and for the building up of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.